Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. So before I get started, just by way of avoiding distraction, yes, I know it looks like I've painted my hands. I didn't. I promise. I did grout in my kitchen yesterday, and it just won't come off. So uh, I've been given multiple suggestions from gasoline to WD-40 to lemon oil and all sorts of things. I promise I will get it off. It'll be all right. But the kitchen's done, so, you know, it was worth it, I guess. Anyway, let's get into it. So don't be distracted by my hands. I know you can see it, but it's totally fine. Let's get into it. Have you ever had a good leader in your life? You know, someone who knew how to get the most out of you, but they were able to lead you well, but they also knew you, right? They didn't just take off, but they knew you, and they were able to challenge you. I spent this week thinking about my life and all the people who have had influence in it, and there are so many who took intentional time with me to help me become more than I ever thought I could become. And when I evaluate these leaders, they all have something in common. All of them were able to fix their eyes firmly on the goal ahead and run after it. But there's something different about a leader than an achiever. Right? A lot of people can fix their eyes on a goal and achieve it, but in doing so, they will often leave people behind or barrel through people, and when they get to their goal, they're there alone. A leader doesn't do that. A leader runs hard after their goal, and as they go, they pick up people along the way, and they give them jobs, and they give them purpose, and then all together, they end up at the goal. This is what a good leader does. And the one I think of most often was the one who really was the first to see something in me that I never thought would be possible in myself. I was in band, and band starts in sixth grade. And in sixth and seventh grade, I played the trumpet, and I was very, very bad at it. Okay, very bad. And I don't say that as like a self-deprecation, trying to be humble. No, really, like by all measurable possibilities, I was very, very poor at my instrument. It was bad. Couldn't play anything. I was last chair. And honestly, there's a reason. I, I didn't care. I didn't care. I, I don't know why I chose to be in band in the first place. I had no interest in music at the time, or at least just a minimal interest. In band, if many of you are aware, band here makes it difficult to do other things. You don't, playing sports is hard. You have to th- drive all over the state of Indiana to do all these things. And I don't know why I did band, because I wanted to play baseball. Baseball was my life. It was everything for me. But I did band. Don't know why I did it. And because of the apathy I had towards it, it made sense that I was terrible. But for some reason, at the end of my seventh grade year, the band director at the time asked me if I wanted to move up during eighth grade and play in the high school marching band. I don't know why he did that, and doing so meant that I would have done normal middle school things. I would have been in middle school band still, but I would have added high school band to it. That means not just the pressure of playing my instrument with high schoolers, but the emotional turmoil of being an eighth grader stepping into a room with a bunch of high schoolers. It's terrifying. 
I don't know why I said yes, uh, but I did. And I don't know why he asked. I think he asked because he just needed the numbers and my ability to play or follow any sort of instruction was completely irrelevant. He just needed the numbers. But that year, a few of us moved up, and I remember one, the other one in my section who did, he totally made sense. He was really good. He worked really hard. He was first chair in in our section. Totally made sense that he asked him. I don't know why he asked me. I was last. But what I found out, I discovered quickly that I was able to catch up. The director putting pressure on me to step up is exactly what I needed at that time. I became good. And not just good at my specific instrument, but good at music in general. I became a leader in the band. And over the next few years, me and the other guy who was already really good, we fought over the next few years at who would be first chair in our section. Because of the the band's director's ability to see my potential and help me achieve it, I ended up winning the John Philip Sousa Award for musical excellence at graduation, which I still don't understand that. I don't know how that happened. Right? Because of what he did for me and the skills he gave me, I, ta- I was able to teach myself to play guitar. And because I taught myself to play guitar, I got super involved in church. Well, and then the rest of my life is history. His leadership in my life changed everything for me. He taught me how to work hard, how to overcome apathy, how to be on a team, and how to respect other people, and how to honor those who went before me. He gave me discipline. I am forever grateful for his leadership. And a good leader can really change everything. And this is what we find in Joshua. Joshua is an incredible leader. He is given a goal and he never strays from it. He's fiercely committed to the calling that God has given him, but he's also fiercely committed to bringing everyone along with him. He is able to get the most out of his people and never leave anyone behind. But he is also able to discipline when it's necessary in order to keep his team on the right track. But not, this isn't only in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament too in the book of Acts. When we look at Peter and Paul, they are incredible leaders. They were fearless and brilliant, and they knew exactly how to communicate the truth, and they wouldn't let anything keep them from going where God was calling them. And because of these three people and others around them, but these three people led the way to some of the greatest accomplishments in human history. The book of Joshua and the book of Acts has a lot to teach us, and it's really interesting how they parallel. They're very similar. So let's dive into it. Because we want to see what God is calling us to and how he's leading us to engage in this city that he's called us to love. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful. I'm thankful at the calling you've given us. That you've given us a challenge and a purpose that is amazing. You've called us to love this city. So God, we ask for wisdom and clarity as we try to pursue what that looks like, will you show us? Open doors. Give us the strength to step through the doors and do what you're calling us to. God, right now I ask that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that these words would not be mine, they would be yours, and they would be your words to your people that challenge and move us, that mold us to action, and give us purpose. 
God, we thank you so much for Jesus and the hope we have in him. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. I'm going to read two passages. I'm going to start in Joshua chapter 1, right at verse 1, right off the top. This is what it says. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I want to read from Matthew 28. We're going to spend the bulk of this series in Acts and Joshua. But Acts is set up by what Jesus says here in Matthew 28 when he calls the disciples out. And this is what he says. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, first off, I want to make some observations that I find very interesting. Do you notice a parallel in these two passages? God's call to Joshua to take the promised land and Jesus' call to the disciples to go and share the gospel is very similar. And it's not just similar in the practicalities of the work they have to do, because that work does look very similar, but it's similar in the way it's communicated, the words that are chosen. There is at the same time a calling and some promises. And the calling on both of them is really similar. The calling is go and do. All right, in both of these passages, Joshua and the disciples are both being asked to go somewhere and do something very specific. Joshua is being told to go and take the promised land. The disciples are being told to go and make more disciples. Both of these tasks sound terrifying. I want you to think about the context of the moment. What Joshua is about to do is insane. Okay, first off, he has to cross the Jordan River, which is absolutely impossible. They can't do that. Right? They're sitting on the edge of a riverbank with no way to get, to get across. And they're being told to cross it. And then, these are just the first two things. They have a lot more to go. And then right after that, they have to go to Jericho. And Jericho is surrounded by enormous walls. And not just one wall like we often picture when we picture Jericho, but it's two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall, and the Israelites are in no way equipped to handle that. They have no equipment to deal with these walls. 
And then think about the call on the disciples. It's just as terrifying. Remember, they live in ancient Rome. And this is not a place where you wanted to draw attention to yourself. The Romans already didn't like the Jews very much. They saw them as a nuisance. And they really didn't like when anyone in these Jewish communities raised any sort of cane. They didn't like when things got out of order. And so the disciples who followed Jesus were already under scrutiny by Rome. And then you add this on. In Rome at the time, it was punishable by death to claim any king but Caesar. So for the disciples to go around and call Jesus their king was incredibly dangerous. But this is where the promises come in. This is what they promise. First off, the first promise is no one will stop you. In Joshua 1.5, we read that no one will be able to stand up against you. And then in Matthew 28, this is what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. Joshua and the disciples are both reminded that God is in control. And once he has made his promise, as we saw in the last series we went through, he will always come through. Nothing will stand in the way of God accomplishing his plans. And the second promise is, I will never leave you. In both of these passages, there's a promise that God will never leave. That no matter what they face as they follow God, he is with them. And what an encouragement that is. That the almighty God of all creation is with you wherever you go. However, with all of this, there is something God has said to do while they go. In order for these promises to succeed, the people have to hold up their end of the deal. And here's what's asked of them. First, be strong and courageous. God knows that the way will be difficult. Okay? In order to do what he is calling them to do, they have to be brave. There are going to be times where the plan doesn't make sense. As we're going to see when we talk about Jericho, the plan is crazy. But God is saying, be courageous. I promise to be with you. The second thing they need to do is they need to follow God's truth. In both of these passages, we see a call to submit to the word of God. And I want to make sure we don't miss it. In Joshua 1, verse 8, listen. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says, As you go and make disciples, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, when I was a kid growing up in church, we would say these pledges from time to time at different events. And obviously, we're all familiar with the Pledge of Allegiance. We would say that one. Then we would say the Pledge to the Christian Flag. And then we would say the Pledge to the Bible. Maybe many of you are familiar with this, but this is what it says. It says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. And its words will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against God. Scripture is God's word to us. 
It holds his promises and his plans. It gives us guide rails to keep us living in the right way. It shows us what abundant life really looks like. It gives a foundation to stand on when the world around us is falling apart. When we know God's word, we will not falter in the face of trials. That is why in both of these moments, God is saying to stand firm on the truth you have been taught and do not sway from it. And the third thing they have to do is trust the plan. It's very clear in both of these passages that the one giving this promise has absolute authority and knows that victory is certain. The calling on the people in these moments is to trust the plan that is in place. That sounds simple, but it's, it's often very difficult. We are people who like to have control over the way things go. Giving up control is terrifying for us, and I can prove it. How many of you know that there's an imaginary break in the passenger side of a car? You aware? If you don't know that, you should know that. We all do it. Okay, we all do it. When the person driving doesn't hit the brake at the time we think is necessary, we start mashing our foot on something that's not there, right? All of us do it. We all do it. I'm surprised there's not a dent in the floor of my car for my wife doing it so much. All right, we don't like to give up control, okay? We don't like to do that. We want to have control, but God is saying we have to. His plan is better than our plan, so just trust it. Now, these promises are made in Joshua and Matthew, but here's what's on the other side of them. We get the benefit of being on this side of history so we can see what happened. When Israel follows God's plan, they will take the land. And Joshua, the great leader that he is, he trusts that. That's why Joshua doesn't hesitate. God makes the calling and he makes this promise. And Joshua immediately says to the people, right after the promise, this is what he says. He says, three days from now, you will cross the Jordan River here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. He doesn't say try to. He says you will. And they do. They miraculously cross the Jordan River and they come to Jericho and they see victory in an incredible way. And we'll talk about that more next week. And in Acts, the same thing happens. The disciples have been told to wait on a sign. And once the Holy Spirit comes, they will be given power to share the gospel and take the land. And in Acts chapter 2, it happens. Starting in verse 1, listen to this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each, each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This scene is chaos. You need to know what's going on at the time. They're sitting in a house in the center of Jerusalem. And during this time where they are, they're surrounded by a bunch of people because the Feast of Weeks is happening. And the Feast of Weeks is a pilgrimage festival, which means that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are in Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish festival together. So there are languages from all over the world gathered together here. And when they start speaking in these other tongues, they are speaking these languages from all over the world that they didn't know how to speak beforehand. And what's even crazier is that the people hearing it, they look at him and go, wait, we know who these guys are. 
They're uneducated men. How are they doing this? They shouldn't be able to do it. And all this chaos is happening. And Peter stands up in the middle of it and goes, let me tell you what's happening. Power has come. This man, Jesus, he was the promised Messiah. And you know what? You killed him. You know how crazy it is for him to say that? These people were just his enemies. All these people gathered here, they didn't like him. And he stands up in front of them and accuses them of killing Jesus. And he tells them, I assure you that our forefathers, Abraham and David, they're in the grave. You can go visit their tomb. They are dead. But Jesus, he's alive. And he offers you redemption. And what's amazing about this moment is the immediate victory. The people hearing this message replied, what do we do? And then in verse 38, Peter tells them this. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? It's incredible. Verse 41. Those who accepted this message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What? 3,000 people who were their enemies beforehand. Okay? 3,000 people who wanted to kill these men. Their hearts were changed and they gave their lives to Jesus. The disciples trusted the plan, and God showed them an amazing victory. In this series, we're going to take a look at our calling. God is still calling us to take the land. We have been given an incredible responsibility as the church to share the good news of the gospel, to make disciples, and to baptize people in the name of Jesus. That is what we do. That calling is the same on us as it was in Acts. God is telling us to take the land, to go into our community and show people that Jesus really does love them, that he really can save them, and that they really can have victory over sin and death. But how? How do we do that? Well, I'll give you a preview of where we're headed over the next few weeks. First, we have to surrender to God's call fully, all of us, completely. We as a church need to be praying for God to show us exactly what he is calling us to. And when he does, because he will, we surrender to it fully. Our natural inclination is going to be to second guess him. The whatabouts will start to flood your mind and you'll start saying, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? Your mind is going to try to grab the wheel and take control. That's natural. Like I said, we, we want to hit the brake when we sit in the passenger seat. But we have to surrender to his calling. Now, it's my job as your lead minister to lead you well into the plan God has given us. It's what Joshua does through this whole book. God gives him the battle plan, and he faithfully follows it without turning away from it. When Joshua does that, and the people follow, they see victory every time. 
But as we'll see in a couple of weeks, when they don't follow the plan, it's a disaster. So we will, as a church, surrender to where God is calling. What I'm asking of you is to join us in prayer as the elders and I pursue what that is. Second thing we have to do is we have to trust his provision completely. God's provision for us is perfect. He gives us exactly what we need. I want you to remember what was going on before Joshua crosses the Jordan. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. And that whole time, God provided for them exactly what they needed. He gave them manna from heaven so that they would have enough to eat. He gave them water from the rocks so they would have enough to drink. He gave them exactly the amount they needed and nothing more. And Jesus encourages us in the same way when he reminds us to look at the birds and look at the flowers and notice how well God takes care of them. God's provision is perfect. Trust it. When he provides a pathway, go down it. When he's given us a resource to use for his glory, use it. Be good stewards of the gifts that God has given. We as a church need to be committed to stewarding the talents, the gifts, and the resources that we have for this reason. For the pursuit of giving God glory and pointing people to Jesus. That's why we do everything. And the third thing that we need to do is we need to take each step faithfully. And I do mean each step. Every day, all of us, let's wake up and give God our yes. We don't need to know exactly where he's going. We won't know the whole plan. But we do need to say yes to the step he is calling us to today. Now, my first week here, I described mine and Megan's life as jumping off a cliff and hoping there's water at the bottom. And here's what I'll tell you. Megan and I have jumped off of some terrifying cliffs. But you know what? There has always been water at the bottom. Always. Not once has the bottom been dry. Now, there have been times where we jumped and the fall was a lot farther than we thought it was going to be. But the water was always there. Every time. Our job as followers of Jesus is to say yes to each step he gives us. So, give God your yes, and when he calls, answer. Now, I want to end with this encouragement. Even before this job came about, Megan and I, over the last year or so, have regularly just driven around or walked around town and just to dream. We'd walk around or drive around and go, what, what is possible here? And while we would dream, we would pray, God, what do you want to do? Show us, give us wisdom, open a door, whatever it is you want to do, we're here for you. And I want to tell you something about this place. This place is beautiful. You need to be reminded of that sometimes. We live in an incredible place. Just walk around and pay attention. The town is full of generous people. Amazing history happens here. And we have beautiful landscape. We are lucky to live where we live. Yes, there is brokenness. Yes, there is bitterness. 
Yes, there is hardship. That is for sure. We know that. But there's the possibility of redemption in all of it. God has given us, the church, an incredible task. And that task is to love this beautiful community and draw its people to know, love, and serve Jesus. That is our job. It is nothing else. That is it. There are so many ways we can do that, but the first thing we must do together is surrender to God's call. Here, unified, as people who love Jesus, we have to commit to run hard after the call that God has given us. Will you join me? I'll be running as hard as I can. Me and my family, we will be out there a part of everything, telling everyone we can about this joy we have because of the hope we have in Jesus. Join us. Let's stop playing church and let's start being the church. This community needs us. We have to do that. Let's go take the land together. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful. I'm thankful that this is our calling, that we carry that burden. That it is on us to do what you've called us to. And so God, we ask you to give us strength, to give us courage, because we know it will be difficult. We know there will be times where we're asked to do things that don't make sense. We know there will be times where we are gonna be ridiculed for the things we're doing or saying. We know what's coming, but we trust you. Move us to action. Show us where to step. Open the doors where we need to go. And God, we will, as a church, faithfully follow you. We commit to that now. We are yours. Use us. Move us. We love you. We trust you. And we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.